Church, this morning I invite you to take your Bible one more time and turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence, the public reading of God's holy word. This morning I want to read in your hearing John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. Hear the words of Christ. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down the, his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Perhaps you've heard of that deep-thinking, animated philosopher named Charlie Brown. One day, Charlie Brown and Snoopy were walking on the road. They bumped into Lucy, and Charlie Brown simply asked, Lucy, why are we here? Lucy thought for a moment, and she responded, Charlie Brown, we are here to serve others. Now, that answer did not satisfy the inquisitive Charlie Brown, he responded with a bit of sarcasm, yeah, but why are the others here? Maybe you've had in these last few days a Charlie Brown moment. You've asked yourself, why am I here? Why am I experiencing this? And you wonder to yourself, am I just here to serve others without ever getting anything in return from them? Our passage this morning speaks to the purpose of every person. Over the last seven weeks, we have given careful consideration to the seven I am statements on the lips of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. On seven different occasions, Jesus gives us messianic metaphors where he lays claim to his identity. He is speaking the fact that he is God. We have already 
taking a look at the words of Jesus where he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And here in our passage, Jesus declares, I am the vine. By now, you already know that that phrase, I am, is the self-proclaimed name of God. It was first spoken in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses, that seasoned shepherd, had taken his flock on the backside of Mount Horeb. And there, as he was minding his own business, he saw off in the distance a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. The mere fact that a shrub was set ablaze was not all that astounding to a seasoned shepherd like Moses. But the fact that it continued to blaze, that caught the attention of the servant. And Moses went over in that direction to see what was going on. And while God got his attention, it was the Lord who spoke to him from within the bush. He called him by name, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And Moses engaged God in a holy conversation. The Lord gave Moses a God-sized task. I want you to go down to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses gave numerous excuses of why he was not the right one for the job. Eventually, Moses simply said to the Lord, what's your name? If I go down there and I tell them that the Lord has sent me to you, and if they ask me, what is the name of the God that sent you to us, what am I supposed to say? And the Lord said to Moses, you tell them, I am sent me to you. That name, I am, speaks to the so sovereign savior of the universe. It's the one and only God. It is I am, the God who was and is and forever will be. I am. That phrase was not spoken by Jewish leaders or Jewish people until Jesus came along. And John seems to frame his gospel around these seven I am statements. The number seven speaks to totality and completion. And on seven occasions, Jesus clearly, dramatically claims he is God. We've said before, and we'll say many times ever since, that Jesus is not claiming to be another God or a creation of God or a lesser God or one among many gods. He is claiming to be the one and only God. And on seven occasions, he speaks this messianic metaphor to declare that I am God. In our passage, that phrase I am is coupled with the vine. Jesus says not once but twice in our passage, I am the vine. He says it in verse one, he also repeats it in verse five. In verse one, he declares himself to be the true vine, the authentic vine. Now out of all the statements that Jesus made, this statement is dripping with Old Testament symbolism. Jesus declares, I am the vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as God's vine or God's vineyard. In a place like Psalm chapter 80, the psalmist says that the Lord has taken his vine out of Egypt, cleared away the nations, and planted Israel. It was Hosea who said that Israel is a spreading vine. And just as a vine has produced good fruit, so Israel was supposed to produce good fruit. But if you go with me to Isaiah chapter five, 
you will hear that not only the prophet, but also the Lord is disappointed in Israel. In Isaiah chapter five, verses one and two, we read these words. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. That word bad that Isaiah uses is a word that means rotten, stinky. It was bad fruit. The Lord had provided Israel with everything she needed in order to be a good vine and produce good fruit. For Israel was given the very word of God. The Lord had spoken his stipulations and his commands. He had declared who he is. He had given them the Ten Commandments. He had given his very word. He gave Israel everything that was needed in order for Israel to produce a bumper crop. But instead of producing good fruit, Israel produced bad fruit, stinky fruit, rotten fruit. In John 15, Jesus compares himself by standing in stark contrast to Israel. Israel was disobedient. Jesus, obedient to the word and will of God. Israel was rebellious. Jesus, righteous in every way. Israel was selfish. Jesus will be sacrificial for he will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is positioning himself in stark contrast to Israel. The Israel of the Old Testament was a bad vine that produced bad uh, fruit. But Jesus is the true vine. He's the authentic vine. He's the real vine. And from him will, but will be a, a bumper crop of good fruit. I am the vine, Jesus says. Jesus gives us a rather elaborate metaphor for this seventh and final time. He says, not only am I the true vine, but my father, he's the gardener. And turning to his disciples, Jesus said, and you, you're the branches. The branch is supposed to stay in the vine in order to produce good fruit. And the branch produces good fruit, not because it's clever or witty or ingenious, but simply because it stays and remains in the vine. In the same way, Jesus says, you are the branches that will remain in me, and through you, I will produce good fruit. And my father, he's the gardener. Now, a gardener of a vineyard has a meticulous task. The gardener knows that all branches have one of two purposes. Branches are either burned or they bear fruit. The dead wood is cut away by the gardener. That dead wood is cut and thrown and it withers on the ground. Eventually, people come and they bundle up those dead sticks and then they burn them. Because a branch that doesn't produce good fruit, a, a dead branch is not worth anything. And a good gardener knows you've got to cut out the dead wood. Oh, but the gardener also understands you've got to cut or prune, or the word is to clean, the good wood in order for it to produce even more fruit. It wasn't too many years ago that I discovered that the large vineyards of California 
will send their gardeners to a school for three years to learn how to cut the wood. Now, I don't know anything, so I think to myself, how much do you have to learn in order to cut wood? I mean, if it's dead, just cut it off. And if it's good, just, I guess, prune it a little bit and it'll be even more fruitful. I mean, how much is there to learn? Apparently, there's a lot to learn. It takes about 36 months from a person to go from a novice to a skilled gardener. And Jesus says, my father is the gardener. He knows how to precisely cut the dead wood away. He knows with accurate precision how to cut, to cleanse, to prune the good wood so it will produce even more fruit. Jesus said in our passage in verse 8 that this is done for the glory of God, that you may produce fruit. Charlie Brown's question is a legitimate question. Why are we here? And according to our passage, the reason we are here is to bear much fruit. That's why we exist. We exist to bear fruit. At no point does your purpose change. There's no crisis, there's no concern, there's no catastrophe, there's no scenario, there's no situation, there's no setback that somehow changes your purpose. Your purpose is to bear much fruit. Even now, in COVID-19, your purpose has not changed. The coronavirus has some power, but it does not have the power to change your purpose. Even now, in this season of life that all of us seem to share, even now, in this season, we are, have the same purpose. Our purpose is to bear fruit. I talk to people just like you talk to people. I have conversations, I listen to what individuals say, I watch television, probably like you, I watch too much television, I watch too much of the newscast, and I hear what all the talking heads have to say, and if you're anything like me, I've come to this conclusion that there are far too many people, even in the church today, who think that somehow right now our primary purpose is just to stay healthy. Our primary purpose is just to stay shut in and to stay healthy, to avoid this invisible uh, uh, enemy called COVID-19. And our purpose is just self-preservation. Oh, but my friend, the gospel is an antithesis to self-preservation. The gospel calls us not to be healthy, but to be holy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we just need to uh, throw caution to the wind and, and not be wise about how we interact with our world and our neighbors. Of course, we have to be prudent and we have to be wise, but don't ever forget that your purpose has not changed. Your purpose today is the same purpose that you had a year ago. It's the same purpose you will have a year from now. Your purpose is to bear much fruit and nothing changes that. No scenario, no situation, nothing changes the reality that you exist to bear much fruit for the good and glory of God. Even as I say that, there are two questions that press into my spirit. The first question is, how do we bear much fruit? And the second question is, what is the good fruit that Jesus wants us to bear? The answer to both of those questions, it seems to me, is embedded in the text of John chapter 15. 
Let me answer those questions in that order. First, how do we bear much fruit? In verses four to seven, Jesus employs the word remain eight times. In our passage, that word remain is listed no less than 11 times. Repeatedly, Jesus says the key to bearing much fruit is remaining in me. That word remain means to abide, it means to dwell, it means to cling, it means to clutch. In our vernacular, it would simply mean just hang on there. Just hang on and hold on. Just hold on with all you've got because a branch holds on to the vine and as the branch holds on to the vine, so you hold on to Christ. We are to cling to Christ. We are to clutch him. We are to remain in him. We are to abide with him. We are to dwell with him. It is in the process of dwelling with him that we are enabled to bear much fruit. Jesus said in verse three that as you abide in me, that you are clean by the word spoken to you. The word clean it's the same word as prune. It's a synonym in our passage. To clean is to prune. And so we are cleansed, we are pruned, we are cleaned, Jesus says, by the word spoken to you. The word that's translated word is that Greek word logos. Now, automatically, as you hear that word logos, your mind, and especially in John's gospel, it races back to John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That this word is logos, and what Jesus is saying is that the, the key to uh, producing much fruit is abiding in the incarnate word of Christ. That Jesus is the word made flesh and he came to dwell among us. And the secret to bearing much fruit is abiding, dwelling, clinging, clutching, remaining, holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are clean, Jesus says, by the word that is spoken to you. I want to submit to you today that not only are we enabled to bear much fruit by abiding in the incarnate word, but I would also say by abiding in the written word of God. All throughout the Bible, the holy scriptures are compared to various things in life that prove to be very powerful. In fact, it is Nehemiah who says that the word of God is like a plumb line. It determines what is straight, what is pure, and what is honest. It is Jeremiah who says the word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rocks. In the writings of Moses, Moses says the word of God is a consuming fire. The apostle Paul says that the word of God is like a sword of the spirit. The author of the Hebrew text says that God's word is a double-edged sword that God's word has the ability to break that which is hard-hearted. God's word has the ability to determine what is straight, true, and pure. God's word has the power to cut, slice, and dice. And here in our passage, Jesus compares the word to a pruning knife. A pruning knife that's held in the meticulous hands of a faithful gardener 
Because a good gardener knew how to use the pruning knife to cut out the dead wood and to cut or prune the good wood so to produce more fruit. And the word of God is that pruning knife. It's the word of God that cuts us. It's the word of God that prunes us. It's the word that cleanses us, that cleans us. You ask yourself using that analogy, well, if God, the gardener, cuts us with his word, will that hurt? Yeah, you better believe it will. There are times that God knows how to cut out the dead wood of disobedience in your life. And is that hurtful? Yeah, sometimes it is, but always it's helpful. And even God knows how to cut you in such a way so that even the good things that you do enable you to do the best things. It was Alec Motier who said one of the problems in the church is that we sacrifice the best just in order to do good. We think to ourselves, as long as I'm doing some good things, that's enough. But maybe the gardener wants to use this time, this season of your life to show you your dependency upon him to show you that he is going to cut away some even good things so that you can do even better things for him. Because a pruning knife that's in the skillful hand of a faithful gardener knows how to cut out the dead wood of disobedience in your life and also knows how to cut the good wood so that you can produce even better fruit for the glory of God. I'll say it this way, that for the person of God, that person of God cannot remain without the word of God. The person of God, the child of God, the son and daughter of God, you cannot remain without the incarnate word and the written word. The child of God cannot remain without the word of God. In Deuteronomy, it is Moses who says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the psalmist who says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. Elsewhere, the psalmist says, your word is a, is a, light to my, is a lamp to my uh, feet and a light unto my path. It is the writer of the Proverbs who declares that God's word is flawless. It is perfect. And the apostle Paul says to his son in the ministry, Timothy, that all of scripture is God-breathed. And it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is God's word that cuts us and prunes us and cleans us. It is God's word that cuts away the dead wood of your disobedience and my disobedience. It is God's word that prunes us so that we may be more fruitful for the glory of God Almighty. It is God's word that sustains us. And I think that the longer I try to do my best to process what this coronavirus is doing, I think that God permits this to happen to get our attention. I think that God allowed COVID-19 to come over the entire globe to get the attention of his creation, to get your attention and my attention, to cause us to stop and to, and to uh, get to the place where we ask the Charlie Brown question, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? 
And if we go to God's word, we will discover that our purpose, it never changes from eternity past to eternity future. Our purpose is to produce fruit. And how do we do that? How do we produce that fruit? The only way we can do it is by remaining, abiding, clutching, and cleaning, by staying in Jesus and in his holy word. Therefore, I've got a question for you this morning. My question is, how are you using all this extra time at your disposal? One of the great ways we can use this extra time is by abiding in the word of God. Friend, this passage is not so much about salvation as it is about discipleship. This question is, this passage is more about disciple making. And how does Jesus make you into the disciple that he wants you to be? You child of God, you must remain in the word of God. I'm not asking a pharisaical question. I'm not asking a question where you can just check off a religious box to say, yes, I read my Bible today. I'm not so much asking, do you read your Bible every day? I'm asking, do you allow your Bible to read you every day? I'm asking the question, do you sit and soak in the sacred scripture of the Lord? I'm asking, do you allow the Lord to be your source of nourishment? Do you allow Christ Jesus himself to give you life that without him you could do nothing? Are there times, my friend, when you are so consumed with Christ that your mind just daydreams about scripture or you begin to recite a certain verse that has ministered to you in the past? If you say, now preacher, now let's get real. No, my mind does not daydream about that. My mind daydreams about paying the mortgage. My mind daydreams about, am I gonna have enough food on the table? My mind daydreams about the future of the economy of this nation and of this world. My mind daydreams about cancer and, and coronavirus. My mind daydreams about my children and about their future. Are you kidding me? No, my mind doesn't drift off into the sacred scripture of the Lord. My mind is consumed with everything that's going on here. And friend, maybe that's the problem. This past week, I was convicted by the reality that I've spent far too much time over these last few days and weeks sitting and soaking in the situation that I'm immediately in instead of the sovereign God who's over all of it. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine. I am the life-giving vine. I am the good vine that produces good fruit through you. And the way that you, my friend, bear much fruit is by remaining in the incarnate word and the written word of God. So that answers our first question. But then there's a second question. What is this fruit that we're supposed to bear? It would seem to me, as you and I read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, uh, this imagery is used quite often, that this fruit, these things that are supposed to be evident in our lives. So what are they? What is the fruit that Jesus, the good vine, expects you, the faithful branch, to produce? Allow me to give you just a few that we find throughout the sacred text. For starters, Paul says in Galatians that we are to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
These nine characteristics and traits ought to describe your life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that Paul gives us nine fruits. No, he gives nine traits of the one fruit. It's like when you describe an apple as round and red and delicious. Those few words describe one and the same apple. In the same way that in Galatians, uh, the apostle Paul describes these nine traits as one and the same fruit of the Spirit. And if you are remaining in Christ, if you are a child of God, if you've been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit unto salvation, then this is the Spirit that works in your life so that as you interact with your family, as you interact with your siblings, as you interact uh, with your neighbors on the street, as you uh, interact in social media, as one day soon and very soon you interact with co-workers and classmates and teammates, as you interact with people, this is the fruit that you and I are supposed to produce. Then when people describe our lives, they're supposed to use these kind of words. That person is loving and joyful and patient and kind that, that person is self-controlled in everything he or she says and does. These are the words that are supposed to describe us because this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's John the Baptist who says in Matthew chapter 3 that you and I are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That whenever God uses his word to cut away the disobedience of our life, to prune us so we can be more fruitful, where the word of God by the spirit of God reveals sin in your life, the automatic response of one who remains in Christ is to repent. That if sin is walking in this direction, to repent literally means to turn and go in the opposite direction. To say, Lord, I don't want to have anything to do with sin. I want to have everything to do with the Savior. I don't want to cling to this world. I want to cling unto God my Father. I don't want to just hang on and hold on to sin. I want to hang on and hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I are to have a fruit of repentance in our lives. Also, the word fruit, it means a person that you share the gospel with and is converted unto Christ by the power of the Lord. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter one when he says to the Roman church, I have longed to come and visit with you and see you so that we may have a great harvest of fruit among you. Paul says the reason I wanna come is so that we can Share the gospel, live the gospel, be the gospel so we can have an evangelistic event. We can live a life of evangelism so that lost people are found in Christ. I wanna have a harvest of fruit among you. And certainly as you read the Bible, the fruit that God wants us to produce is he wants the gospel to be on our lips and in our lives in such a way that it draws lost people unto the Lord. Also in that same letter of Romans, Paul speaks about the fruit of a financial offering. In Romans chapter 15, verse 28, the apostle Paul is speaking about the offering that he is uh, collecting to take to the saints of Jerusalem. And he says, once I give them this fruit, I will come and visit you on my way to Spain. Oftentimes we think of money as loot. Paul thought of it as fruit. He said, I'm taking this fruit, these, this financial investment, I'm, I'm taking this money and I'm gonna give it to the saints so they can benefit from it. Friend, let me tell you, let me just pause right there. I praise the Lord for your generosity in these days. You've been so faithful. As God has blessed you, then you are blessing his church. 
And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for your faithful giving of tithes and offerings unto the Lord uh, during this season of the coronavirus. Thank you for your generosity towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Keep that up. As the Lord blesses you, then please, you bless the church. And you know you're not giving uh, just to keep lights on. You're giving so that the message of the gospel will go forth. I shared with you last Sunday that on average, every time we do a live stream, that we are getting to 22 to 25 states and anywhere from three to six countries every single week. And because of your faithful giving, the fruit of your offering is enabling us to share the gospel and to scatter it all over the world. So thank you for that. Oh, but I would be remiss if I did not conclude by saying that when it comes to this idea of what fruit does Jesus want us to produce, even in our passage and the surrounding words, Jesus just simply put the cookies on the bottom shelf. If you love me, obey me. If you love Christ, have the fruit of obedience to Christ in your life. I just want to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the branches, I am the vine, my father's the gardener, and together we are gonna bear much fruit. And, and the fruit I want you to have is the fruit of the spirit. And I also, I want you uh, to have the fruit of repentance in your life and the fruit of evangelistic conversion in your life and the fruit of faithful finances. But ultimately, Jesus says, I just want you to obey because by your obedience, you will show that you love me. In our passage, Jesus says to his disciples, I call you friends. You're no longer just a servant. You're my friend. And the way you know that you're my friend is because I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay down my life so that you may remain in me both now and forevermore. And Jesus called these ragtag bunch of redneck disciples friends. Do you know that before John 15, there are only two people in all of Scripture called the friend of God? Abraham and Moses. That's it. Adam was never called the friend of God. David was never called the friend of God. Daniel was never called the friend of God. Esther was never called the friend of God. Rebecca was never called the friend of God. Up until John 15, it's just Abraham and Moses and you. You're in pretty good company, right? I mean, Abraham, Moses, and you, because you are a disciple of Christ, because you're a disciple of the Lord, and you cling and clutch to Christ. You remain in him. You abide. You dwell in him. You bear much fruit, and Jesus said, you are my friend. You're my friend because I lay down my life for you, and I enable you to remain in me. John 15 is a it's a passage of being before it's a passage of doing. That long before we do anything, we've got to know who we are. And Jesus says that we are a branch and we are connected to him, the life-giving vine. And the father comes along by the power of his word and he cuts away disobedience and he prunes us to be more fruitful. But ultimately, Jesus says, I want you to know who you are. You are my friend. Throughout the Bible, the indicative always precedes the imperative. Who you are always defines what you do. Don't ever get those in reverse. 
It is not what you do that defines who you are. It is who you are that defines and determines what you do. Who are you? You, if you're in Christ, you're a friend of God. You are a friend, a beloved of the Lord. You were once an enemy of God, but because of Christ, because Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and on the third day was raised from the dead, because Jesus is Lord of all, because Jesus has made a way for us as enemies of God to be declared friends of God. And the way we do that is by faith in the accomplishment work of Jesus on the cross. Oh, my friend, I don't know about you, but I feel the Holy Spirit in this house today and the Holy Spirit's in your house today because you are a friend of God because the accomplished work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You, my friend, you're a friend of God. And because of who you are, it determines what you do. Because of who you are, it determines what you do. You ask the Charlie Brown question, why are we here We are here to produce fruit. How do we do that? Remain in Christ. Remain in his word. What does he want us to do with that fruit? Well, he's itemized the fruit that you and I are to produce. And all that fruit is produced in our life simply because we are friends of God. Now this morning, if you're not a friend of God, you can be. You can just stop where you are right now and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I'm an enemy of God, an object of your wrath. But because of your great love for us, you sent Jesus our Savior. And Jesus died on the cross for me and all of my mess ups. His dead body was placed into a borrowed grave and on the third day he was raised from the dead. And I believe, I believe that you, Jesus, are Messiah. You are Christ. And friend, this morning, if you were not a friend of God, today you can be called a friend of the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ. I told you this passage is a lot about discipleship. So disciples, those who are in Christ, remaining in him, use these days, use this time to hang on to the incarnate word and the written word of Christ. And through it all, we can only do it because we need Jesus. And Jesus provides everything that we need. To God be the glory. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this moment. We give you this time. And Lord, if there's somebody listening to my voice who does not know you as Savior, and Lord, I pray that today is the day of his or her salvation. And for those of us who are disciples of the Lord, those of us who are in Christ, we are branches that remain in the vine. Lord, today, will you please just just cut away the dead wood of disobedience in our lives? Show it to us. We also ask for you to prune us, clean us, so that we can be even more fruitful for your glory. Oh, Father, use this time. Redeem the time that we have so that we may abide in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.